Our uh, text is, uh, again, back in Ezekiel chapter 38. I'm just going to read the first four verses there and just go by a little bit of, of uh, review from this morning. Now, we looked at those verses there. We uh, covered some things like um, the, the names of the places, Magog, Gog, and so forth, and Persia, different things that we were just kind of looking at, but very briefly, not really going into detail, just gave some examples, like Gomer. Everybody remember Gomer, because that's Germany, but uh, we also remember Gomer Pyle, okay? And so that's the way uh, you get it, and, and then you, you look at uh, some of these things that were there. We gave you some websites to go to from the sermons we've preached on along those lines in the past to kind of give it up. And I'm telling you that because... Uh, if you missed this morning's message, maybe you work in another place or something like that, uh, you can go back. It's already posted on our website now. And so Brother Mark got that up. It's posted, and, and it's there now, and you can uh, see the sermon that was preached this morning. Uh, as we're here in about a four- or five-part series, I'm thinking it's four to five parts. Mark asked me, what's going to be the name of the series? Right now, this is the first title was um, what's next I don't know I've got to come up with a name for the series uh, the first sermon was what's next but people are looking for what's going to happen next when they're seeing all the problems in the world today and is the rapture going to happen is this going to happen what's, what's going on and so they're asking that question what's next well let's just read these first four verses here and the word of the Lord came unto me saying son of man Set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, the, and, and, thus, and say, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them holding, uh, handling swords. Now, just quickly, we mentioned this morning about... Uh, that's the first part of the tribulation, I believe, somewhere in the first area, part of the tribulation. Russia comes down with her coalition of nations against Israel, and they're on horses. And said how people kind of scorn that. Yeah, that's crazy fundamentalists. Uh, don't they know that that was the military stuff of their day? The horses were their military vehicles, their, their arrows and bows, and that was their, their bombs and their, and their rockets and things. You know, that was all of their artillery uh, were things like that. And so since they didn't know about our day, they could not write accurately about it. Well, they were just putting down the words the Holy Spirit breathed out for them to write. Okay? And had the Holy Spirit breathed out rockets, nuclear weapons, jets, you think those people back then would have understood it? I mean, really, when you think about it, it's crazy. And we, uh, we just kind of used uh, some things there. I, I remember telling, I was telling you about uh, reading 
uh, books were written in the 1800s and early 1900s of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Every eye sees them in the world. Every eye is able to see them of this world. And they've uh, tried to explain it away because they don't want to take the Bible literally. Say, well, there were representatives from every nation to see that. But about 1939, things started to change with the TV. And uh, they talked about that. And then finally in 1969, we saw a man landing on the moon. And then we saw President Nixon in China. So uh, all of that was on live. And so you could see those areas. But it, a lot would not preach that all the world sees it. It was just representatives. Because uh, if it's not logical to them, that then they want to try to explain things away. And so that's the way they go about it. So, uh, and you know, I, I see a thing that goes on today. You, you, have this, uh, you have this in government. You have this in philosophies. You have this in education, even in Christian education. And that is the thing of critical thinking. Critical thinking has the tendency to take you away from the absolutes of truth and begin to question the truth, measuring it by your own logic, as these, I was telling you about in the 1800s, were measuring it by their own logic. But it's not God's way. God gave us truth. He gave us what we are to believe. He gave us how to go about it. And I know that uh, there are people that have written some very interesting articles for critical thinking in Christian circles. Well, because you use big words and things like that doesn't make it right. Okay, things, words don't make things right. But you see, they want to make it logical uh, to their way of thinking. And their way of thinking usually fits in with the day, whether it's the conservative culture of the day or the liberal culture of the day, they want to fit in with the culture. Or they're afraid that people will think we're uh, ignorant and dumb. Well, they thought the same thing about Paul and uh, others. You know, they, even Peter and John, they said they're ignorant and unlearned men. But uh, I would have rather listened to Peter and John and then what those uh, guys that were so well educated were saying. Now, I'm not against education if it's right education. But I'm against education that uh, educates you in the world's way of thinking. Uh, you know, they, they seek to, it seems like they seem to want to downgrade different things of God's Word. Uh, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness is a result of critical thinking, whether you realize that or not. Uh, questioning parents. When the Bible's already told parents, how to raise their children, talks about spanking, talks about things of that nature, and training them the way they should go. And they try to come up with these things, and then they, you say, well, I spanked my child. <sighs> you know, I mean, it just gets going. They are upset. Because they have been taught by critical thinking that you don't do that. But the Word of God tells you how to raise your children. Critical thinking says divorce. The Bible says, love your wife, love your husband. 
So, again, you go on to these things that the Bible tells you to do, and, 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 and you do what the Bible says to do. There are absolutes. Don't wait till Christian, till you get to heaven to realize, oh, those things were absolute. See, you, you want to know that now. So, I, I'm just uh, laying that as what we've covered so far this morning. Uh, but... Before we go further, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get on into the message for tonight. Father, now I have looked into this many times, Lord, and I, I know, Lord, that I still will come short of preaching the word as I would like to see it preached, Lord. And it just seems like that uh, if you're not in it, this is a failure. It's a waste of the people's time. So, Lord... Uh, Keep me conscious of your word. Keep me conscious of what you once said. Keep me conscious to say it your way. And help me, Lord. Be that power in my voice, being the Holy Spirit. Not my voice, but the Holy Spirit's voice that speaks to hearts and gives understanding to each believer and helps the unsaved to see their need. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I've been asked several times uh, in the last uh, three or four weeks, to be honest with you, I've been asked several times about uh, President Zelensky of the Ukraine. And with the talks of, of uh, nuclear war, perhaps, and all these other things going on, uh, people are wondering, is President Zelensky, being a Jew, could he be the Antichrist? Uh, could uh, this be the sign of that the Lord is going to come back and take us? Could, you know, and, and there are things you could say, well, it could be true. I mean, World War II, a lot of preachers were preaching in World War II. Mussolini and Hitler were both labeled as the Antichrist at different points. Stalin was thought of as an antichrist at a different point. Matter of fact, I, I think only the Lord knows who's going to be the antichrist. I, Satan doesn't know. Why? Because our years are still three score and ten. So, sometimes he'll see a man. He can see that wicked heart. He knows he's got control over that wicked heart. He, he, take, he gets with that man, but then God holds everything up, doesn't allow it. And so, the man that he had pointed out could have been a Hitler. Could have been these different ones. All of a sudden, they're taken out. It's over, and a new thing is. But Christians are looking at world events. Keep your mind on the Word of God. Now, remember this. The Lord does talk about, you, you Pharisees, you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the, uh, the signs of the time. So, yeah, there are things that tell us that His coming is soon. But His return was imminent since the day Jesus ascended up into heaven. If you read 1 Thessalonians, you'll realize they were looking for the coming of the Lord. The disciples were looking for the coming of the Lord. And that's what we're to be doing, is looking for the coming of the Lord. That's why the book of Revelation, great prophetic book, ends with, even so, come, Lord Jesus. It's not only looking for it, it's hoping for it. It's hoping for it. Well, a lot of people think it's Zelensky because he is a Jew. And in my own uh, 
mind, I kind of think that he will be a Jew who is the Antichrist. I'll say a little bit more about that in a few minutes when we go to uh, perhaps uh, Genesis chapter 49. Uh, we told you again about uh, these other things that went on, but the Antichrist of the tribulation makes a covenant with Israel which starts that seven-year tribulation. Now, something I heard growing up, I heard this growing up, and, and yes, my dad preached this uh, years ago as well, but uh, uh, the, the rapture will take place and that will start the tribulation. Uh, no. Now, the tribulation does start after the rapture, but the rapture does not start the tribulation. Okay. The tribulation starts, it's a seven-year period when the Antichrist will sign a covenant. They'll confirm a covenant the way it says in the Bible, confirm a covenant in Daniel chapter 9 for one week. That one week, every day of that week represents a year for seven years. And so that is what marks the beginning of the tribulation hour, the seven-year tribulation. And, and so although there are a lot that believe that, uh, the one thing that is part of it, the tribulation will not start before we're raptured. But there are a lot of things that can happen before rapture. Nuclear uh, war, uh, can happen before we're raptured. There's so many things that can happen before we're raptured. So uh, let's not be so quick to look for what the man is doing. Just remember, God knows the day or the hour. No one else, not even the angels in heaven. But that day or hour that he's already assigned, he, he's not tearing his coming. He's coming in the time he's already appointed. He's allowed us to have that opportunity. Remember with man, when Noah Lord said, oh, now, they're, they're ready to be destroyed now in Genesis chapter 6. But I'm going to give them 120 years. This world is very wicked. So how much time is the Lord going to give us? And so there's various things that we see. For example, Israel back in the land. All kinds of things that we can see about that. But it is a seven-year period that uh, we'll see in a later message uh, from looking from Daniel chapter 9 about that uh, period uh, of time this during the tribulation. Uh, people say, well, you believe that the, the Antichrist is going to be a Jew? Uh, actually, I believe that. Now, could that be wrong? That's a possibility. That's a possibility. But my tendency is to think that it's a Jew based on my Bible beliefs and some things that you, with, you draw from that. Uh, I believe that he'll be of the tribe of Dan. You know, people today don't realize it, but this DNA testing is, is a big thing. Because those Jews, I remember hearing that in Israel when we were over there uh, talking. I talked to my guides, well, the DNA now, we can tell which tribes we've come from just through DNA testing. So a lot of them don't say what tribe they are, and, and so uh, we, we may find that not everybody knows. We have the DNA testing, then people will tell you about their background and uh, all the, that's involved as a result of that blood test. I, I don't know how they do that, but they do it evidently. Uh, but really, uh, when you think of it, most of us don't go back and, and get that big 
uh, thing going all the way back and finding out all of this stuff about ourselves. Some do. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I just haven't done it. Don't really have a desire to. I'll just wait till I get to heaven and get the story right. <laughs> but I want you to go to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. And we're going to look at, start with verses 1 and 2. And I'm not going to go straight through on Genesis 49. I'm just going to look at selected verses from Genesis chapter 49. But it's very important that we see this. And in Genesis chapter 49, beginning with verse 1. And Jacob called unto his sons. What was the name that God gave Jacob? Israel. Okay, now we're looking at the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, understand all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, God breathed out every word, and holy men of old penned these words for us. Uh, you'll see that in 2 Peter chapter 1 when, in our class, and Brother Woodard gets at that point. But holy men of old spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay, those words are written. So they word for word, and that's why God preserved it, because they were His words. So Jacob, Israel, is now giving a prophecy that's not his imagination. It's coming from God. Every word has come from God. So whatever he says here is of utmost importance. He says, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Now the last days were not in A.D. 70 when they fell. The last days have not come yet as far as Israel is talking. This is talking about just even before Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation and sets up his kingdom. But he's going to tell you what happens in the last days, but he's showing how it's going to affect each tribe down through history. And so we're beginning to see it there. What shall befall you? Now, in verse 2, gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. The things which follow have uh, seen so much in them actually happen. And the first one I'm going to look at we're not going to look at all the 12 tribes. We're going to first look at here at Judah. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Now, that's a very important thing to start because understand the line through which Christ would come, uh, which would include Rahab the harlot, by the way, 
some very evil people, but God can save evil people. He saved Rahab. He saved some of those evil people that would turn to him for their salvation. And they were saved. And so, Jesus would come down through that line. And you see that line well outlined for you in the uh, genealogies there in the book of Matthew chapter 1 and also there in Luke. Uh, chapter 3, you see that genealogy is just laid out very well for us. And so, it, it's down there showing how he comes. Uh, but Judah, he says, Thou art he that shall rule over thy brethren. Uh, thy hand shall uh, be in the neck of thy enemies. Of thy father's children shall bow down. Now, why is that important? Because one day... Jesus, exalted in heaven, and yet still having a human body that rose from the dead, we find out in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So understand that here is something that we hear about in Philippians, about every knee bowing, already told here, about every knee bowing one day. And not just all of his brethren, everything in earth, on earth, you know, and under the earth, everything in heaven, all will be bowing to Jesus. Why? Because he is the Lord of lords. He is the God of God. He is the King of kings. But he is from that line of Judah. Uh, and, and let me just uh, add one thing here, if uh, you don't mind. There is a very abominable doctrine that the church replaces Israel. Satan really wants you to believe that. That is a lie from hell, and churches and preachers that teach that have no idea what they're talking about. They are deceived by the devil. Now look, we're the bride of Christ. We see that uh, the father called Israel his wife. And then we see, we're called the bride of Christ, but where, where are these people in eternity going to be? Well, there's going to be a new heaven, new earth, but there's going to be an Israel. An Israel. They'll rule and reign. But all of us will be involved in ruling and reigning with Christ. Priests and kings forever, he said. That's just not to specific uh, Jews or uh, specific Christians. That's to all who have received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. He goes on to say in verse 9, Judah is a lion's whelp. The offspring of Judah is named Jesus, who is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so, he says, a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou, shalt, uh, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? You see, again, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Israel, raised up from that tomb, victorious over hell and of death. 
And in verse 10, it's a very important verse here. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And what? Until Shiloh come. And to him shall all the gathering of the people be. Now, I want to look at that scepter for a moment. The scepter speaks of royalty, a royal kingdom. It's basically, it's a symbol. I mean, something that the kings would hold in that day and had very importance in how the king would use that when you entered their presence. It was a very important thing. And we do that, and the ladies are studying Esther. And if my wife had already planned to cover this, I'm in trouble when I get home. Didn't y'all have an extra room? Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, no, not really. Uh, I like our sofa. Um, okay. Uh, but the, the scepter in Esther, remember, she's brought in. She replaces the original queen. She's been chosen by the king. But now the law has gone out that they're going to destroy all the Jews. And Mordecai, her uncle, sends word to her in the palace and, and tells her, hey, look, don't, don't hold back. You're in a position now to do something. She says, well, you know what? Nobody can go into the king. He, if he doesn't hold out the scepter, that's death. He's got to hold out that scepter so I can touch it. If that doesn't happen, that's death. Mordecai says, well, yeah, you, you just uh, have uh, that thought in your mind, you're going to escape death that way. No, it says the Lord still has a way of judging and delivering his people. Don't think you're going to escape in there just because you're the king's wife. So she tells all her maids and maidens and tells uh, uh, Mordecai, okay, get all the people to fast and pray for three days. The end of the three days, she'll go into the king. I like what she said. If I perish, I perish. You know, we've got some young ladies that we uh, support that are on the mission field as well. I mean, it's not just all men and women. It's a lot of times just single ladies. Sometimes, not a lot of them, but some of them are single ladies. And, and you think men in Africa, and thinking a white lady in, in Africa, and, and all these people don't know her, she doesn't know them. And that could be very fearful. That could be very fearful for her. And yet, with all that fear that is there, she goes, why? If I perish, I perish, but it's what God would have me to do. That, that is, that is character that comes only from the Lord when somebody submits themselves unto the Lord. So, the scepter is held out to Esther, even though she could have died. If she doesn't stretch, if he doesn't stretch it out to her and she doesn't touch it, she is a 
dead person. Now, I want to think about this scepter for a moment. To her, she's living there, and it's handed out to her. She's the queen now, and he brings her in and touches. Even the queen had to put it out to her, but he accepts, he touches the, uh, puts out the scepter for her to touch, and she touches it. But you know, that got me to thinking a little bit later, because in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah goes in to see the king and to see if he can have permission to go back and rebuild the wall in Jerusalem, there's the king and the queen sitting there. And that's actually King Ahasuerus and Esther sitting there. And he'll be sent back to Jerusalem, his people, to build that. And just, I wonder if that's a sign of when the kingdom is set up that the people, after that great judgment seat of Christ, are sent back and to set up that eternal kingdom. But, you know, there's another thing I see here. What we call the judgment seat of Christ, you'll hear some preachers call it the bema seat because the bema is uh, the Greek word for judgment seat. And it makes us smell smart, and you'll think we're smart until you get to know us. Uh, but nonetheless, the judgment seat of Christ. That's where only saved people, everybody goes there, they're saved. I kind of wonder about that if there's a scepter held out to them to show that they are accepted in the beloved. They're accepted in Christ. And we touch that scepter and we enter into his great kingdom. And you know, she went in and she had all kind of things. She, she was a queen. She got other things to go along with that. And Touching the scepter, I think that there's reward that comes with it. What would you have? But then there's the white throne judgment. Everyone at the white throne judgment is without Christ. They're going to be cast in the lake of fire. It's not going to judge as to whether they're going to be saved or not. It's judging whether how bad hell's going to be for them for eternity. But there's no scepter that they can touch. Their eternal destiny is in hell. And so, when you think of all of that, it makes me just want to go back and, and look at a Bible verse, and it's Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, with that thought in mind. But unto thee, Chapter 1, verse 8 of Hebrews. Uh, but unto thee, unto the Son, he saith. That's what I'm trying to say. That's all the, the, but unto the Son, he saith. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is thy kingdom. Wow. You know, that emblem of the scepter speaks of his majesty. Entering to the presence of God and being able to touch the scepter that he would extend to you. That's the, the, the idea of his majesty, his highness. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. 
And so that scepter is extended there to him, to them, should I say, in that day. And so as we go on here, we see about, he said here in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh come. A lawgiver? We remember that the Father wrote, God wrote with his finger the Ten Commandments, and they were given to, to Moses there as we read it in Exodus and again in Deuteronomy. They were written with the finger of God. A lawgiver. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That love is also a command that's on the level. When he says another commandment, the idea there is on the level of the Ten Commandments were written with the finger of God. But Jesus is God in the flesh, is he not? And so, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. If you have love one for another. Put that word if in there. There's a condition of being those disciples that are honored in heaven. If a lawgiver gave us a law, and we will be called into an account one day before the Lord about this very commandment that he gave. And so a law, they uh, don't pass from him on that. That is going to be right there uh, from now on, you might say, forever and ever and ever when we're with him. But I believe that there are rewards and that people can say, well, they're Christians because they love one another. But he said, till Shiloh come, here in verse 10. Now, Shiloh is a little bit different word, a different form of the word uh, that, that we would think of it in English. Because in English, we'll think of things like, uh, oh, yeah, Shiloh, the Battle of Shiloh. And we're thinking of the Civil War. And it might mean something different to some people. And they name places Shiloh and not really understand why they named it that way. Uh, you know, the word Shiloh here in Genesis chapter uh, 49, verse 10, is a different word than all other places in the Old Testament. Uh, the Hebrew word itself appeared uh, something like, I think it was 39 times in the Old Testament. But in a form, that same Hebrew word, one of those forms that only appears here in verse 10 of that same Hebrew word. And, and so it gives it a kind of a different meaning, just like we have in English. Uh, uh, Mr. Sheffield was a teacher, okay? So as a school teacher, and she says, Andy, did you read your book? I say, I read the book. Okay. But then she asked me again, Andy, did you read the book? 
I will read the book. Now, read, read was spelled the same way. But there's a different form that language brings to it. That's the kind of the idea here with the word Shiloh. In, in verse 10 here of Genesis chapter 49. You see, those other 39 times it's referring to a place. But only here does it refer to a person and his kingdom. It's associated with Judah and Judah's line. This is speaking of Christ and his coming to establish that kingdom. Till Shiloh come. That's the Shiloh that it was talking about. So we see the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Jesus, whose line is through Judah, gave us that new commandment. It's important. It is of utmost importance. He's coming back. You know, you've got to look at this in two ways. When he comes back and at the end of the tribulation and he establishes that millennial reign in Christ for a thousand years, oh yeah, uh, Satan and his cohorts, you know, they're down, they're chained in hell. Satan is chained in hell, but he's allowed for a short season, we find out, in Revelation chapter 20, to be let out. And he goes around and deceives the nations once more. Uh, guess whose uh, philosophy is destroyed by that? Again, it's a critical thinking philosophy. You are a product of your environment. But God says you have a free will. They've lived in the best environment for over a thousand years. That's not the product of the environment they let, let, lived in. Some are deceived, and they make another big circle around Jerusalem. Then God just goes ahead and ends it all and sends fire down, destroys all of that group. Then a white throne judgment is set up, and they're cast into an eternal lake of fire. Now, God's way is right. God's truth is truth. It's absolute. We always want to judge everybody else and blame everybody else for what goes wrong instead of taking personal responsibility. That's what a lot of this has gone on today is uh, we want to take personal responsibility away from uh, children. We want to take it away from people that steal, that kill. Well, you know, that was just the environment. Oh, you know, if they had their parents had done this, or so-and-so had done this, if our government had done this, our schools had done, no. They've got a free will. The, if there's a failure of any kind, it's that we as Christians roll over and allow it to happen. Look, contemporary church services, oh, is this what we've got to do to win them? Boy, now, that sounds like a, I have a good intention. I want to win them. Okay, I want to win these people. Out, these young people out there on the street, I want to win them, so I'm going to give them free cocaine just to come by and hear me t give them the gospel. Hey, 
That wouldn't be any worse than having this contemporary music in there that's the music of hell and brings it into the hearts and lives of people. Stand by absolute truth and the absolute truth that's in the Word of God. You have a free will. You decide whether you're going to do right or wrong uh, is based on you. I've seen working in, 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 in schools, I mean in, in stores, I've seen watch, watching through a two-way mirror, kids, five years old, be in a store, and look this way, that way, every way, and then boom, put it right under their shirt, steal something. And the shock they have is that when I saw them do it, when I catch them. Well, you know, the way he was raised probably, no. He knew it was wrong or he wouldn't have been looking each and every way where everybody was. Now, there was a family. We had one where the whole family did that, parents and everybody. Well, see, he's, that's just the fruit of his family. Well, he might have learned it from his family, but yet he still looked. He knew it was wrong. What I'm just saying is, when we as Christians get to the judgment seat of Christ, you can't blame your husband, you can't blame your wife, you can't blame your preacher, you can't blame your parents, you can't blame anything because we have the preserved Word of God, and the problem is we're not reading it and we're not obeying it. And when we have these things in our life that we're doing that all of a sudden uh, is grace and liberty that was at one time filthy and wrong, we're like the people in Jeremiah 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 31. My people love to have it so when talking about all the way the flesh had got into their worship. And that's the way it is today. And these churches that are doing these things, that have gone this way, have led so many the other way, yet those people still have a Bible they could go to. But there are going to be some preachers and others that are going to be saved so as by fire if they were saved at all. Now, I'm trying to say as we get ready for the Lord's Supper, if you don't have things right with God, it's not because of anybody in this world but yourself. Because you were created in God's image and that's a free will to make those decisions. Did their ways, did their suggestions, did their things have an influence? Probably did. But you also had a choice to reject it. Listen, Jesus Christ didn't win every soul he witnessed to. The apostles didn't win every soul they witnessed to. I can tell you, by a long shot, I have one every soul I've witnessed to. Some got saved. Other, more, didn't get saved. Presenting the same gospel that I presented to the ones that did get saved. We had one saved here this morning. Perhaps others unsaved here. I didn't see all the hands go up for salvation. They were already saved. But only one responded, yet they all heard the same word. Can't blame others. It's there for you. Now, we're going to be partaking of the supper here in a moment. And I was actually going to preach from John 13 tonight about this do. One of the things that Jesus did at that supper, He sent Judas out because He wasn't ready to partake of that supper. And then He gave this commandment to love one another. Something we're going to be called in count to. This do. This do. You're my witnesses, saith the Lord. 
this do. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, this do. Pray without ceasing, uh, this do. Study the soul of thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, this do. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, this do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, this do. What I'm trying to tell you is simply this. When you get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, there's a lot of things that better. You know, when I was a little boy, uh, sometimes mom would say, <clears throat> let me see those hands. Open them up. Go wash those hands. Okay? Now, the Lord doesn't have to ask you to open it up. He already knows. Going to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's good to have those hands clean. Make things right with God now. Make them right with God now. To partake of the Lord's Supper.